and welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and even more so, this is a bonus episode I'm doing in celebration of Ryan Sambal's new album, Gestalt, which is released today, February 1st, 2021. And the song that played us in is called You're Still Lovable to Somebody. That's uh, the single off of the album, and you could buy cassette versions of that on Perpetual Doom, and you could buy it from Ryan Sambal on Bandcamp. All those links are in the show notes. So please uh, go purchase Ryan's album. Uh, I had him on last year, and we talked about a lot of things, and he was just in the early stages of uh, recording this album and writing some of the music, so it's kind of cool to come full circle and uh, go back and listen to that episode. It's a really great one, and uh, I've I've really enjoyed uh, talking with Ryan both times. I'm trying not to get distracted because there's a baby crying in the background, and it happens to be my baby, but there's other people there to take care of it. So don't think I'm just like some weirdo hiding in a room ignoring my baby. There are other people in my uh, clustered apartment. Anyway, so please... Um, if Ryan's album on Bandcamp is pay what you can or pay what you want. Uh, and I say go steal a purse uh, or roll a hobo and pay a little extra because this is a tough time for musicians. They can't tour, and that's how a lot of them make their living. So please support Ryan Sambal and uh, check out some of his other music. It's uh, I've been a longtime fan of his work, and I was a huge fan of The Strange Boys. And this album, Gestalt, is really great and uh, I talked to Lou, who runs Perpetual Doom, and he and I both agree it's something special. And uh, Ryan shared some of the early demos of this album with me, and I was just like, holy shit, this is great. So do yourself a favor and check it out. I think uh, I think you should uh, buy it 50 times and buy it for Christmas, even though Christmas is 10 months away. Uh, real quick, just side little things. Ryan was outside, so there's some external noise while we were talking. Uh, there's, But that's often the way it goes in my podcast, because often there's my dogs barking or kids yelling, and there's only so much you could do to hide from those um, sounds. And I think that's it. It, it, it. Just real quick, if you can, is speaking of uh, in the show notes, also, as all things Matt Dwyer, uh, I have the new logo. I'm working on redoing my pod or uh, website and merch so all these things should be coming you can follow me on social media all that's in the show notes as well as ryan's social media so uh if you follow me on instagram conversations with dwyer you'll know when new episodes are coming out or when this merch is out and who've been on the show in the past sure that wasn't proper english i don't care uh and i think that's it just and check out my library i have a lot of old uh, great episodes, and uh, if you want to really dig deep into the conversations with Matt Dwyer World, you could become a Patreon subscriber, and for $5 a month, you'll get videos of a lot of the interviews, extra bonus material, uh, you'll get the unedited version of interviews, and a music blog, all kinds of stuff. Usually my music blog is my stories related to songs. It's not like, in 1962, Miles Davis recorded. It's me telling... A little bit of, actually, a little bit of the history of the song, but also how it relates to my personal life, and usually something weird and odd that happened to me that goes along with that song that has emblazoned that song in my memory for life. Okay, that was a, a long intro, but I felt like I had to say a lot of those things. 
not big on talking about myself. That being said, here's my conversation with the very fascinating, fascinating and talented Ryan Sample. I go into Johnny Paycheck, and it was just like that dude was a fucking lunatic. Yeah, I mean, we're playing with George Jones, too. That's kind of the only stories. I haven't seen that show, but uh, in George Jones' uh, autobiography, they share a lot of Johnny Paycheck stories because he was a bass player, so it was crazy. Yeah. Do you strive to That's be... That's a real... real. <laughs> That's a what? There's that honky-tonk circuit. Uh, circuit. That's a rough road. Yeah, man. Do you strive to be that much of a lunatic? Are you going to start supporting a gun? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I, I, I look at... You know, I'm in Texas, or I guess anywhere, really, but it's a statement, you know? You know, saying I'm not willing to elevate it to that level, no matter what. A but I also don't want to get... Uh, Killed by a fool. <laughs> <laughs> but do I want to kill a fool? Mm. <laughs> the, the, the the eternal question. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. How are you feeling about your new album? Are we on? Are we on? Are we recording now? I'm always recording. Oh damn. Is that why they call you the Nixon of Hollywood? <laughs> yes. Always recording. Well, I should say that on record that I'm, you know, I'm a little nervous, but I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm willing. About recording with me or your album? Or both? <laughs> I guess a little bit of both. But, um... This is kind of, this might be the only thing uh, that comes from me as far as promotion-wise for it. Uh, what is the reasoning for, is there a reason for you being, not wanting to do a lot of promotion or? It's a tough time to promote. You know, I've always, I had trouble with it before. So, you know, what are you really promoting? What are you advertising? So that's why I didn't do a video for this record either. Um, uh, I've done them uh, before and liked them and a lot of fun with friends making them but I didn't feel the need to make a a movie you know I just thought I just made an album let's just put it up on Spotify and Bandcamp put it on you know pay what you can pay what you think it's worth on Bandcamp option and then I wasn't making money the other way anyways so Kind of uh, seeing if that would work. Do you have to make a couple of videos? Do you have to you have to do um, you have to tell everybody on your Instagram all the time? You know, so we just kind of have to do it a little differently with your family and perpetual gym and see if we could make it just that. If you just release an album once a year, would that be enough? I think it's not too. Out of the question to ask that these days with the uh, reality of living in America. Your album is not that important, but it still should be released and be heard. Do you feel people are just too self promotional these days? I mean, 
it's something I struggle with. Like, it took me a long time to get comfortable with repeatedly, like, posting about my episode daily because I'm like, uh, I don't know. It's just the way my self-loathing way. I was racist where I'm just like, uh, no one wants to fucking hear from me. I didn't, I didn't hear that last part. The what was for you? Oh, I just, you know, no one wants to hear from me. Like, that's how, I, like, I, there's a self-consciousness to self-promotion with me where some people are just gifted at, like, the screaming look at me. Well, it's, I, I was listening uh, yesterday to the uh, the John Lurie interview you reposted, or talked about again, the original, like, the original one that came up with the idea, where the idea got started at. Yeah. Yeah, so such great honest insights of what it feels like to say a joke again on camera or you know how much do you want to let people in and then how do you handle it and who do you pitch it to and all that stuff but the the personal way with Instagram I think it's um, it depends on what you're talking about um what you're putting out there, what you're advertising, I think. Um, and then if you can, if you're really good at doing it, there's a, there's a disconnect that you put yourself, like that you commit to and it becomes the norm. And so you, it's just so necessary. Do you want to be a independent artist these days or an artist that actually lives off the money they make from their art? You have to do it. There's a lot of ways to do it, but don't see a way around it. You have to do it in some way if you want to have it be in your art career or your music career be it while you're alive. It's like, it's, it's an odd thing to think, oh, well, so if I posted about that two more times that I have to be working this job instead of this, but now it's different because you can't tour, so that's kind of my, it's a long-winded explanation of uh, what can you cut out of it while still doing decent job at letting the world know that you did something? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, back, it wasn't so long ago that people did put out stuff and just sort of relied on word of mouth and a bit of self-promotion. And that was, you know, like pre-internet, but like people put out things and, sold well without having to do any of that like it doesn't seem like a ridiculous thing to have people hear about your album without and that I think that's what I've come to see over all the years of working with different people on different PR techniques or different ways of thinking about releasing something into the world and yeah it's if the work is good enough that's what that's the dream right the work is good enough to just uh, impress people or move people for you know I think with this record uh, I'd be happy if people just listened to the whole thing once it's only 24 minutes so if you just put it on and then it was interesting enough with each changing song to just listen to it for 24 minutes and then if you never listen to it again that's kind of enough Instead of releasing something as this, you're preparing for an epic birth into the world and then it's going to be talked about and referenced for the 
rest of time. You say, no, well, it's good enough to play a show, right? If you play a good show for 24 minutes, maybe it's just thinking about the actual release of an album is not as big of a deal as what's on it. So you should be able to want to listen to it all the way through. Yeah, time. Did you always feel that way? Did Was it different when you were releasing your other albums? Was there more of a, like... Uh, build up to it and an anticipation or were you sort of did you have the same philosophy I mean you know the other stuff I've done we weren't we weren't very uh, good at doing it that way either but it's the record label books a promotional tour for you you know or even like a book tour kind of thing it's way different than the way I do it now um, but thinking about how the album should be heard I think I've always thought in the context of the whole album, but the times and how I played everything on it only because of necessity, not wanting to get anybody else involved in the studio during the plague. It's a classic plague album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about that because it is a. You've always been with bands, and this is pretty. Or you've played with other people, and this is pretty minimal with the exception of, I think, some cello? Is there so, is there anything else on there that I'm leaving out? Uh, that... Instrument what? Yeah. Yeah, there's some guitar, piano, and, yeah, cello on one track. Um, and was that just, that, that was a approach because you had to, because of the plague, or was that a, also a, crea- a creative choice before that? Um... It was about a year, a little more than a year ago, I got this loop pedal for the first time, and I really messed around with one of those. And uh, I started writing with that and thinking, oh, I'll get more rhythm in these songs instead of the other older solo songs. The rhythm drops out a lot. It's uh, more lyric-based, but I thought if I had this kind of metronome beat going, I could write songs that would be easier to translate with other people but uh, then the plague hit and then uh, it just yeah I just went with that and then I started using it more as a, an effect so I would build the songs every time when I played them live because you can even delete a track and then bring it back so you know I found these ways around it to make it a little more interesting and a little like, riskier so, and then just ended up doing it alone with uh, this guy, Andrew McCullough, who's a great engineer. It was just easier to do that way because nobody was risking their lives to make it like us. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you, to not let people risk their lives. But you know, yeah, well, you, it's the least we could do. You know? We're not heroes. <laughs> Did you find that, though, uh, creatively freeing to just sort of not be, to have to work within certain, I guess, boundaries, like because you couldn't work with, did it force you to write differently and uh, record differently, like that in a way that you weren't used to? Uh, a little bit. You know, I've been getting used to doing, just going in the studio, just me for a couple of years now. And, uh, there was a couple of sessions I did after 
uh, after the Living Grateful Days that I was going in playing a bunch of instruments and layering them on there just like I've been doing on the loop pedal but there was just someone in the control room and then we'd be like okay let's do track two track three track four and a couple run throughs of song you got a song that's that's a cool way to do it but I'm limited by my skill level so when I did like the interstate group stuff in Nashville the guys that were recording and playing on it was uh, you know it elevated it to this level that I can't get to on my own uh, so there was a lot of acceptance that came with this album as well what do I expect and there was we didn't have any money the record label wasn't really lined up there was no kind of support for it so it's just us two and then skeleton crews but it, it seemed to be good enough it's not the album I intended to make but there's is that is that ever the case though like I mean do you, does anyone make the album they intend to? Have you achieved that in the past? Yeah. Yeah, but there are real fast sessions and they just happen to work. It's, you know, the studio's cool. When you get it in a, in a short amount of time, you feel like you're really doing your job. And, and then when it's hard, which it never, really, for me at least, gets that way, how short you can make the hard times and you know it, it only really was a different album because of the uh, situation of the year last year right I've heard you say this. Oh, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt no I was just saying it could have been a lot more fun I sent it to my buddy when it was finished my buddy Zach and he said uh, man it sounds so great but when are you going to do the overdubs and I was like ah <laughs> See, I think, uh, well, I'm not Zach or probably have his intelligence, but uh, I think the album sounds, <laughs> I think it's great. Like, I mean, you sent well, me some. It was just that he heard, he heard more of like, you know, he's known me for a long time. So he heard uh, that it was just like all the other starts to other albums I've made, but then nobody else was allowed to put their input on them. So they're, everybody just come out. A little sparse. See, I, I really, I think the album's great, and I've told you that a thousand times, and because you, you sent me early versions of it, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's a real interesting turn in the output that you've had. Like, there's a definite, different vibe and a different feel and a different approach, and I think it's, I don't. Know, to me, it says a lot about your progress, like your continuous. Uh, challenging yourself and doing different things. That's how I feel about it. So take that, Zach. <laughs> like, trying to get Zach to play drums on the next one, so... Um, I, I mean, you know, I feel the same way, I feel the same way about it that you do, that it's just, uh, it's a different kind of thing, but we went in there like that. I said I wanted to make an album that was like... Astral Weeks or the third Velvet Underground where when you put it on the vibe kind of stays the same instead of trying to do a bunch of different stuff and hoping that it works together you know Rail Sing was a collection from four years of recording so this one was you know a couple months of writing and then a month of recording and then you know off and on because we did it really we just did a song a day so when you keep the vibe that and then nobody, nothing really changes it. I think that's what helps it and being a little, sh- uh, a little on the short side, you know. 
it's not a bold it's not a bold statement or anything like that but it, in its modesty hopefully it holds up you know yeah I'm trying to uh yeah because i feel like you've you've always pushed yourself as a songwriter like i when if you listen to live music like i don't there's like it's such a huge difference between the early strange boys that it's i mean that that you were constantly progressing is that i see i always feel weird saying that like oh you progressed as a songwriter it's or grown because it's is it that do you understand why that's awkward for me to say? Because it doesn't seem fair. It's like, it, it's just... Well, it doesn't seem awkward to me because my, my personal opinion about songwriting is that the next one you write is really just your whole life leading up to it plus that next bit. So, you know, that's, I think that's a good thing. Um, it's something that you can... Uh, it may be something that can add to the song where you hear someone trying different things or just expressing themselves with different sounds. Hopefully it makes you, you know, give the uh, you know, give the artist a little leeway, a little benefit of the doubt, a little space to say, look and say, oh, I know they're not trying to pull a fast one on me. They're just, they're just being honest again for another two minutes and... 37 seconds, you know? Do you feel like some of the, like, early listeners of the Strange Boys were, were, were they willing to go with the changes that the band, because you guys, I mean, I feel like every album is a distinctly different than the other, which is great, in my opinion, and I'm always looking for people's, if I like someone's music, I'm always look anticipating them to do that, where I feel like a lot of audience members are reluctant, which baffles me to no end. Well, I mean, when my brother, when we started as a two-piece in Dallas, Matt Hammer and I, right? And then when my brother joined the band, there were people in Dallas that said we were better as a two-piece. And when he joined the band, there were people in Denton that said we were better as a three-piece. And so when Jenna Thornhill uh, joined the band, it was, you know, it's too much going on. Or, you know, so but when I started playing piano, I was told by a couple people that I, <laughs> and I really like that. It was like, you know, well, you're more of a guitar player, you know? And I kind of took it as this, like, Beatles-esque, you got to be more white boys on uh, instruments that we're supposed to play. <laughs> I think that helps me. It might not have been exactly what was intended by that. It was more like, when well, you need to practice it. But uh, it's still... Sounds a sound. If you can get it, you want to chase one, or if you can come across one that's interesting and you don't accidentally go over it, or if you pick the right take, oh, magic! You know that. Yeah, it just seems weird to me when people listeners are reluctant because I'm like, have you paid attention to music in the last hundred years? Everybody fucking progresses and changes, or they go away, and it's it's just always been a baffling. Like, what do you want? The same fucking song repeatedly? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't identify with that kind of listener because that's not the way I like it. But at the same time, does that really surprise me with the good old human race we got going? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think the other day, like, when did public, popular, when did popular opinion, when was it ever right in the time it was thought? 
Like, what's a good example of the whole world coming together? <laughs> and, and being like, oh, this is a good idea. Let's do this. Even, like, washing your hands in the hospital is, like, a big deal. People are like, they're just really like, fuck that. I'm not washing my hands after every, <laughs> every course like that. I'm working in the morgue, and I'm going to come right in, and I'm going to deliver a baby, and then, you know, I can't have time to wash my hands. I'm a goddamn doctor. You know, it's like, that was that popular medicine opinion at some point, so. <laughs> when you When you apply it to, you know, country singer and you're like I kind of just like you to stick to your own thing it's, it seems reasonable yeah is there is I, I hate this I, I'm judging myself for the question could you hear me doing it but I'm just interested in uh, the title of your album Gestalt if there is a is there a statement being made by that or what? what is your reasoning for uh, Gestalt and I'll, I had to look it up So did I. And I, I read it and I just thought it was a great word. And then uh, so much of our the stuff in our lives, our whole lives, is not, you know, to grant me the liberty to say that. But it all, it all adds up. It is one thing. Whether we want to see it like that or not, we all know that. It, it's just the whole thing is a culmination of everything and blah, 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 blah. You can go micro, macro with it for a billion, million years. But the idea of things coming together and being greater than they are separately, with art specifically, uh, very applicable. You know? Yeah. I mean, specific work, you know, or a specific joke coming together and how that works and how it can be years apart, months apart, or seconds apart when these ideas come together and then when you bunch all those songs together on an album, you stop listening to it at the end, it's over, and you feel that it was something more than just that song, like you do when you read a, when you finish a book, I guess. Uh, and you said you said to me on the, I think it was on the phone recently that you're releasing all your stuff on Spotify, which a lot of it is not on Spotify. Is there a reason you've avoided Spotify? Not that I wouldn't blame you. No, it's uh, it's all been kind of experiments in how to release stuff without a, a bigger record label or distribution company, or I don't, I don't have a, a publisher anymore. So, you know, I'm kind of on my own. And then when you go through with all these passwords and the usernames and then who owns or who started what, like who started the Spotify account for Strange Boys and who started a um, solo account with a Now Ritual album. So kind of, I'm not very good at uh, navigating the internet and computers when I really actually have to do something. So it's been a little struggle for that, and when I wanted to do it, where I felt like I needed to do it, kind of gain more control over what the what you get listened to. But you know, if you send me a Spotify link or you ask me, have you heard this person? I haven't heard them. You know, I go to Spotify, so it's kind of accepting. You're not making the money, any money really, in the traditional way, releasing things. So who cares? Just put it out on Spotify like everybody else, and then see what happens and make a, the album free. It's not a statement on the music industry. That's a personal choice. So where 
I'm at now, I just made the decision that I'd rather have people listen to stuff than give me money. Or try to make them give me money. I mean, the whole industry now is kind of... You're conflicted because you're giving it away and then you're asking for money. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be a rug salesman and be like, oh, well, this rug right here, you know, that's $20. And then you go to another part of the store, like, yeah, you can just have that one. That's just <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're a modern musician, you're like the worst rug world. Do, do, do you do people respond weirdly to that? You feel like when they're like, "You're giving it away for free." <clears throat> no, nobody cares because they if they want to hear it. You know that's where they're going. Um, you know, it, I mean, this is what it came out on vinyl. It's going to come out on vinyl hopefully someday, but we just didn't have the money for it. And also, what do you guess to print up? You know, you have to wait that time, and I didn't want to wait that time. I thought that it was maybe just a better way to release this album specifically. It's just a little more personally. I think it's a big deal. I don't, I'm not alone there. You know, you were just talking about it, so many of us, you know. You're so hesitant, and then, you know, you see your buddy's post of, like, you know, their butthole on a beach, and you're like, oh. <laughs> Nobody cares, like, you can promote whatever you want, or just, you know, you're being self-conscious about showing some stuff. But then, you know, I'll post, like, a really sincere post or something about, you know, through Instagram, the only really social, the only social media I have, and you make it really sincere about something that you care about or release or something and then nobody really responds to it and you say okay that's normal it's fine and then I post some shit talking about Drake and I get like 20 messages so it's just like uh, what the fuck are you supposed to do with that I don't, I don't. <laughs> so I watch a Drake video at 7 in the morning when I get up and for some reason I read something about him in the, on the news and I watch and I get upset and I post some stupid thing and then I hear from these people and then, you know, the weird thing about Instagram too is you have people you know don't like you and they check your Instagram. You know, you have these people that you have no relationship with and it's so fun to go back and forth to them when you hear different music in every word. You hear jokes that you're included with magically through satellites. It's the greatest thing for comedy and for funny pictures or you know, quick insights on the way the world is, but if my joking, teasing break gets more attention on my only media, my only outlet for my music, I had to cut that stuff out as much as I could hold off on it and sacrifice that for, a, you know, two posts, three posts a month on the release month of that album. That's it. Yeah. I that's all the time we live in. It's fucking insane. I, 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 for some reason, if I ever post something sincere, people attack me. Because <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's bizarre to me because I'm like, wait a minute, I'm trying to say something that means something to me and I'm being attacked for not being angry or, or something well, else they perceive me as? Some realization I had about it that changed it for me is that it's only... You know, you, you change what you say, the subject matter or what you're talking about with, with people in your life, certain people. And so that's just how you go through life. It's like, I'm not going to talk to you just like I would to Fred because you're not fucking Fred. 
But on Instagram, you get in that way of putting out this idea, and then it's going to every single kind of person you know, and everybody. And then you have to deal with these ramifications of you were really in your head writing this joke or writing this observation for five people in mind to read. And it didn't go to five people. It went to 600 or whatever. And it's just odd that, you know, there's the daily life and then there's the checking of Instagram. And, but uh, it's not so bad if you have a control on it. But you, uh, myself, I got carried away with it in this way of trying to have it be a PR firm for music and also, you know, dog pictures. Most of the people I follow, you know, I follow like really serious uh, political and activist accounts, and then you scroll, and it's like the other half is mostly dogs, and then my friends. Um, it's it's a very weird thing to get all that in one pipe, so you shouldn't take it too seriously. I try not to because otherwise, I mean, it used to drive me fucking insane, and now I'm just like, I'll post and run. That's that's my approach. Post and run. I mean, it's funny because and if you're trying to promote something, it's hard to get around. You have to do it at some point, and yet uh, in other parts of your life, you don't do have to do it at all. And I think everyone in the last few years, more longer than that, have found their ways to deal with it. Um, I wanted to ask you about something just to change the subject because you brought up Living Grateful and uh, uh, do you mind talking about Living Grateful at all? Uh, can I go to the bathroom first? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't this happen last time? <laughs> uh, Wait, like before you asked about Living Grateful? No, the, the, the first time you did the podcast you took a break too. Well, I, uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to drink a lot of fluid so I can be smart. <laughs> uh, yeah, please. I, who am I to hold you back from going to the bathroom? I mean, I was. I could attempt it on mute. People have done that, and I've caught them. Well, I'll be right back then. <laughs> Yes, sir. I just found something in the bathroom that I took to close out the social media question. Talking about that is, uh, I think the abuse of it is magnified by people that are obsessed with communicating and then your vanity and ego. So if you can if you can accept that, yes, you like communicating the shared word or the back and forth of communication, something like Instagram that you can do 24 hours a day, express, you know, uh, express yourself in these quick, as quick as you think of them. Or you make a work of art and you post it and you can get feedback or no feedback, that weird modern feeling of sharing something and then seeing what's going to happen. Um, it's it's kind of like the same way I feel about the climate, a social climate in America, it's, uh, it's people say, are you all right? You're doing well. It's like that, keeping their job, having a place to live and stuff like that, and yet navigating everything that's happening in your personal life and the world, that's hard to do. It's fucking insane to expect that with all the given contradictions and the 
you know, you're talking about global warming. That's just like one of the crazy fucked up things we have to know about, and yet also have a funny post that day. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad, or you have to show up, pick PC your body, and say something that, um, uh, you know, negates the horror and nightmare that is life, you know. I guess I'm trying to say we shouldn't feel too bad about being bad at something so insane as that. (laughs) You know, I'm not saying don't do them. I'm just saying don't don't be so hard on yourself. I've done in the past other times that you just come to that point where you're saying, no, it's fine. We're kind of doing the best we can because this is all total bullshit. Everyone knows it. (laughs) I can't... uh... I'm laughing because I'm fully agreeing with you. And it is just, uh, it, there's things that go on in social media that I just, especially like the, where there's just people scantily clad dancing for like 20 seconds and they all do the same dance. And I'm just like, I'm not like interested in the scantily clad individual that's dancing in front of me. I'm just like baffled. I'm like, there's millions of people who look at this, like millions of people and I'm it, and why? Like why? What is? What are we getting from this? Like it's just this mind-numbing. I don't know. It's a. It's. I personally find it alarming. I'm like, well, this is where we are. Maybe or I don't know. I mean, there's another way to look at it, right? That it's just an extension of the same things we got into when we were younger, being on stage. It's just a really small stage. You can't stand on our little break. <laughs> <laughs> got to be some sort of extension of that and so the bravado that it takes to film yourself doing something you know that's just a progression of wanting to be like i want to be a star that's true uh, yeah like imagine what like liza minnelli's instagram account would have been like <laughs> yeah all right I... she followers I mean, I guess I've always been uncomfortable with attention. Like, I don't... And I think that's why I ended up being comfortable uh, doing this is because uh, it's not about me. Like, I, you know, I'm a part of it, and it's... But it's not... I'm not... I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, I, I don't like attention. Well, that's because we hate ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> And if that's the one thing I can impart on my two daughters, it is to hate yourself. That is my whole. <laughs> it just has, to be, this has to be proportionate. Don't tell them not to hate themselves. It's just it just has to be relative. <laughs> Do you feel like there is that sort of conflict as an artist? Like there is because I feel like there is that part in a lot of people where you're like, I'm the greatest. You part of you believes you're great, and part of you just thinks you're shit. And if you don't have that sort of conflict then you just create swill do you feel like that's a a necessity in creativity personally yeah but it's hard to keep it in check Uh, I'm amazed every single time I put a couple lines together over a new riff but that's the joy of it you know that magic of, oh, well, that observation I made and wrote down a month ago now sits over this riff I just wrote when I, you know, with my first cup of coffee. That's cool. That's the magic stuff. And then comparing it to other people's stuff, that you know, and then 
you know, one night you play it and you had a bad day and there's no way you're going to play it the same way you played it on that glorious morning when it came to you. So, yeah, it's a, some people have a better line drawn between self-hate and just being a good editor. I can't really speak on that because I've done it pretty poorly. I've handled it pretty badly. Um, does that go because uh, w- before we, we we were talking about living grateful and when I interviewed you the first time I didn't like I remember living grateful like hearing about living grateful and I was like and and then I don't know I, I was I didn't know you didn't re- want to release the album and I was is, do you mind talking about that because I was sure. I just when I heard the album I I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. And I was just confused to, or curious to why you wanted to shelve it. I guess there's a couple reasons. Um, You know, the band came together over pretty much the spring and summer of that year. And I picked out, you know, we kind of tried out everybody and we're making a lot of demos and tapes over at the place I was living, so it was really excited when everyone came together to do it, and Greg came back from North Carolina to play in the band and kind of live in Austin again, started his guitar shop, and so, you know, it was a really great time when the music was really cool in the studio because we had been practicing every day for three months. We would go to the, you know, everyone would meet at my place, I wasn't working, and then, you know, everyone would kind of slowly show up as they got off work or had nothing else to do. We'd go to the pool that was just by the house, like a public pool, and then come back and play some more. It was weird. We were living a cool life. Everybody was, you know, playing the music they wanted to play and hanging out with people they really loved and had a good time with. And then, you know, I was secretly doing some drugs on the side that nobody else was doing. And then when we made the album, you know, that's when I started just going into another depression phase, and then I stopped doing the drugs, and I just woke up one morning and said, I don't want to be in the band again. I imagine taking everybody in the band on tour, and, uh, you know, we all, I just didn't want to be in charge of four or five other adults, and that's, that's just the way it is. Someone has to be in charge. You know, someone has to make sure it happens. And I listened to the album and I was in a personal place of hating anything I did or kind of shutting down again like I've done in the past. And other people can identify with that. It's just with the art stuff, uh, you start shutting down. It's not like, oh, you know, in the office, I noticed you're not doing your job very well the last month. You know, then you snap out of it. But in art, it's like, oh, you broke up the band. You know? It's, it's a more definite thing, but it's also, I listened to some of the songs and we ended up, you know, the way the album sounded, I got, I got a little scared. Uh, I don't want to have, I don't know, it's uh, anything you can come up with, money and um, traveling with, you know, I haven't been very good at making the people that I play music with, they either become lifelong friends or 
brothers or sisters more than just people playing or, or the relationship doesn't go very well because it's hard to do and it's personal for me being the writer and there's all kinds of stuff that goes into working relationships you know so I just got afraid I wanted to keep my friends rather than have it be in a rock and roll band just imagine like a hundred backstages going forward and I didn't want to be there um, and I knew since we already made the album and was finished that you know people would hear it eventually but it just got to be this thing where I was like is it so bad and I don't want to be in a fucking rock and roll band <laughs> <laughs> I mean most people that I'm close to know about it and were at those five shows we played that summer and you know, they understand that. But then there's other people that just say, like, you know, it's such a huge mistake. You could have, they stop there. They say, you could have, and it's like, what? Play a bunch of bars? Play huge festivals, you know? Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. I like, I really love playing so there and playing music for people. But at that time, I didn't want to be in a band. I didn't want to travel around with a gang. And, cool. <clears throat> worry about my own actions and then also have to worry about other people's actions and being like, oh, and the logistics of it and when you're playing in a band, you have to think about if the person next to you on stage is, is there for the same reasons or, you know, is, is avoiding life at the time, like, you know, drinking and doing drugs every night. That's, that's just the way it goes. I just didn't want to participate in it. for any other reason other than fear and preference on lifestyle. I mean, don't get me wrong, I didn't just check myself into the monastery. Smoked <laughs> 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 cigarettes in my room and worried about it for a little bit. But Living Grateful came about just because of the songs that I was writing while I was traveling a bunch and then the right people around. You know, that's it. I didn't want to have to go to Bonnaroo. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to have to uh, text five people to say, like, can you come to my house or can we practice tonight at six? Like, it's not a big deal. That's not hard to do. And I'm willing to do it every other time in my life. I just didn't want to do it then. And so I stopped living do you do you like the album? Uh, Peace Mom, the Living Grateful. Yeah, I do. I like it because it's very personal for me. I see with uh, our buddy Andy Campbell was filming <laughs> documentary kind of style thing when they're doing it. So I have such fond memories playing with everybody, but also all the jokes we got to have. Them cool times because of this summer of kind of dreaming about having a cool band. In the, I think in the documentary, you, somebody says something about how you have enough material for like three albums. Is there a bunch of unreleased stuff out there from that era? Not really. I mean, there's a couple of tracks, but it's not that much. I mean, what you saw in the documentary is a drug addict that is uh, just trying to come up with stuff, and then there's people. He had money, and other people were offering to pay for things. So, you know, 
what Andy caught during that filming of that summer is an incredibly egotistic artist that's trying so hard to figure out if they can be in a rock and roll band without their ego growing. And talking about your ego is kind of egotistical. So that's the way the documentary comes out. You know, it's like doing a lot of drugs and doing some that everybody else aren't doing. It's, you know, you're just... It's tough to take when you're trying to be so honest all the time, but you also have to lead people and and uh, be positive. But, you know, I'm just, I wasn't very good at all that kind of stuff. I was really bad at it, actually. And it's funny because when it started to go wrong, Greg, of course, had been in that situation with every record, a similar kind of situation with every t- tour, every record Strange Boys ever did. So he was just like, ah, oh, he'll be back in a year. Everyone else was like, what's happening? What's, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And Greg's like, oh, well, this is the way Ryan kind of does it. I get all excited about new stuff. It will, the songs will seemingly come really fast and from nowhere, from preparation that was done without anybody else around. And so it's just exciting. It's fun. Your stupid life has something to, you have something to do. Um, but uh, Greg had seen the cycle before. You were also, how old were you, like 25? Um, no, I was probably 27, 27. Do you think you'll front a band again? Like, or do you think it's just going to be Ryan Sambal out front from now on? I mean, I have people in mind. I, I tried to play with uh, some people, you know, two years ago. Um, I'd like to try again. It's really just the way uh, necessity. That's all. I also don't have very many friends. <laughs> <laughs> Should I move out there and and play drums for you? Poorly. Let me let me add poorly. I mean, you can't do it any worse than me. I've been playing drums again. Also, I shoot hoops. And it makes me feel better about everything else I do in my life because I'm so fucking bad at it. Uh, just, uh, just go out to the court and start shooting with your left hand, like left-handed sky hooks, and you you go home and you feel good if you pick up the guitar. Uh, I'm terrible at anything athletic and guitar as well. Um, big hard-hitting question at the end of here: uh, How's your library coming along? Do you want to plug your library? Holy. <laughs> <laughs> Which has its? Does it still have the Instagram page? I'm trying to get it better. Where I, I, I was just experimenting with how to show the books, and you know, there's just what they allow you to do the nine or ten pictures, and uh, like um, it'll get there. It's just uh, you know, I jumped the gun a little bit on thinking that people would want to get books. But at the same time, I enjoy reading so much that I often just want to keep it. Or uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how much people want to have an independent library. But it's, it's something for the future. Looking forward to the calm life of a 
antiquated profession. <laughs> uh, are you uh, near recording anything in the near future, or what is what is coming up for you? Is which is probably a tough question since there is a pandemic. Um, just you know, working here in town, trying to uh, just pay the bills, and then you know, do hopefully some more songs will come and do it all over again. Really, I don't think about that stuff much because there's not anybody asking for it. You know? I don't, you know, I just don't have any contracts with anybody that says, well, here's the next one, let's do this, or, and there's no tour, so. I mean, there's plenty of people that are playing. Um, are you, are you going to do a live, any of the live stream type of st- stuff? That they can- uh, well, I did one actually last night. Um, couple songs and then Julie Neal played uh, on the tunes for a club in town uh, in Las Vegas and so they're going to stream that uh, sometime next month and that'll probably be the only one I do I think I don't know, you know I don't, I'm hesitant to say what I do and will and won't do because uh, it kind of depends on if someone asks me or not um, well I'll ask you can you do <laughs> Can you do a live stream? <laughs> it, you know, it's hard. John Laurie was talking about that too, right? You know, the doing stuff in front of the camera, it's hard. You can practice all you want. And uh, then it's, you have these eyes on you. Uh, well, I want to thank you for your time, Ryan. And, I, and I'll put all links to you in the show notes so people can buy the album or the cassette tape from Perpetual Doom. Cool. Thanks, uh, thanks for asking me to talk again. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or Conversations with The Wire at the Instagram and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.